Well, today is, I know we're all probably thinking Halloween, but I want to say Happy Reformation Day. Uh, of course, if you don't know the history, uh, on this day in 1517, Martin Luther famously nailed his 95 Thesis to the door of the Wittenberg Church in uh, the Wittenberg Castle Church in Germany. Now, we look at that moment as kind of what sparked the Reformation, but that really wasn't his intent in that moment when he nailed those theses to the door. He was just wanting to debate the subject of indulgences within the Catholic Church. Um, but after he did that, of course, his theses spread uh, around, and he was ultimately charged with heresy for what he wrote in those. In 1520, the Pope condemned actually 41 of the theses that he wrote. Then on April 17th in 1521, Martin Luther went before the Diet of Worms. Now I was thinking, does that mean he ate a bunch of worms? No, uh, the Diet was like, it was like a court or a meeting that the Catholic Church had, and it was, took place in Worms, Germany. So the court or the, the worm, the Diet of Worms. And at this court, he basically, Martin Luther refused to repudiate his works unless he could be convinced of his error by Scripture. And otherwise, he stated... His conscience was bound by the word of God. And according to tradition, he said, here I stand, I can do no other. This, of course, wound up sparking the Reformation, which was what led many to leave the Catholic Church and what led to the formation of what we now call the five solas, sola being Latin for alone, and those were scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, to the glory of God alone. And his and others' examples really inspire us to stay true to the Word of God, no matter what the pressure that we are facing is. And so I want to give everybody a little bit of history. This is why I'm saying Happy Reformation Day, not Happy Halloween. I was trying to convince my wife to let me buy a set of Jedi robes for later on, because I'm like, I can wear it to church and it'll double as Martin Luther. This will be great. <laughs> she didn't go for it. <laughs> well, this week we are wrapping up Philippians chapter number 2, and we're going to work through verses 19 through 30. And as we work through these verses, I know sometimes we get to passages of Scripture like this, and we, we read it, and we really just see Paul kind of planning out his travel with the church at Philippi. And it's easy as we go through chunks of Scripture like this to just kind of skim through them and to kind of maybe not sit with them as much as we would some other passages like we have throughout this series, like Christ is going to complete the good work he did in you, or every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Uh, we get to these passages, and we just kind of skim through them. But what I want to encourage us to do this morning is, as you're reading through your Bible, and as you get to places of Scripture that maybe don't instantly seem as exciting to you, they don't jump off the page, I would actually encourage you, when you get to those passages, to actually slow down. Because oftentimes what we do is, we're not as familiar with it, so we just kind of skim through it, and what we do is we actually miss some amazing truths. And we are reminded um, that every portion of Scripture is given to us by God and has been inspired by God. What we see here in these verses, yes, Paul is doing some planning with the church at Philippi, but as he's planning, he's actually showing us Christ-like examples in Timothy and in Paphroditus. And so what we see in these passages is everything that Paul has taught us in the first half of Philippians 2, now we get to see it all fleshed out. Uh, throughout chapter 2, we've been called to live a lifestyle of service, and we most clearly see that in Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul said, have this same mind in you, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And so he teaches us what it means to live a life of service, to live a life of sacrifice, to ultimately live a life like Jesus. 
But then he gives us these examples, and it's Christ's example that enables us to do that. And as Paul writes the last half of these chapter, what we do is we actually see Jesus in these men. Paul doesn't directly say, hey, be like Timothy, or be like Epaphroditus here in Philippians chapter number 2. In fact, the only imperative or command that he gives us is to hold men like these in honor. People that are servants, people that sacrifice much for the cause of Christ. He says, welcome them and hold them in honor. But as he is explaining what he hopes to do, these Christ-like examples just shine out. And what we're going to see is living demonstrations of what it looks like to live for Jesus. I mean, we've all heard that Christian character is just as much caught as it is taught. And Paul has told us what to do. Now he's going to show us what it looks like with two very real world examples. And so this morning, as we look at the life of these men and we look at their character, our aim is not to just look at them. Our aim is to see Jesus in them. What does it look like for a person to live for the glory of God? Well, here we have two examples right in front of us in Philippians chapter number two. I'm going to read all of chapter number two. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Philippians chapter two. I'll read the entire chapter to give us the context of what we have been taught, what we've been looking at the last several weeks, and then we will see how these men are living demonstrations of what it looks like to live what Paul has taught. Let's begin reading Philippians chapter 2, verse number 1. Paul says, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Verse number three, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Verse five, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Verse six, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like lights in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast on the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing, but even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice in me. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news of you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me 
in the gospel ministry, like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Since he had been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. And did he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I'm very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we just thank you that your example of sacrificial love and service won us to you, and we thank you how, Lord, you're not just our example, but you enable us to live our lives like you do. And Father, I pray as we look at these two men this morning, we would see in them what it looks like to live a life dedicated for Jesus, that we would see in them what it looks like to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ and to serve those around us and ultimately to advance the gospel and bring glory to your name. We ask this in your name. Amen. The first example we're going to look at this morning is Timothy. And our first thought is, very simply, the care of Timothy. Look back at verses 19 through 24. Paul says, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be encouraged by news about you, for I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. Paul was wanting to send someone to this church at Philippi so that Paul could be encouraged by what God was doing in their midst. Now, back then, they didn't have email or FaceTime or text messaging, so it makes sense that as Paul is writing this letter that he is going to send to the church at Philippi, he would make some plans and share. This is what I'm hoping God allows me to do with you as a church. We see that Epaphroditus was going to come back before Timothy would make his way back. So Paul is wanting to let the church know this is what's going on. Epaphroditus is going to come back right away, then I hope to send Timothy to you soon. But Paul didn't want to just send anyone. In verse 20, we see that he wants to send Timothy because Timothy was like-minded with Paul. Now, the word like-minded means kindred spirit or equal in soul. What we see when we look at these two relationships here in Philippians and throughout other scriptures is that they were very close. They were like a father and a son, Paul says in verse 22. Now, what's interesting is this word like-minded is the only place in the New Testament that this word gets used. And so what we see is Paul had a very special relationship with Timothy. Paul met Timothy in Acts chapter number 16. Right before the church at Philippi got started, Timothy joins Paul's missionary endeavor. And the Bible tells us that Timothy's mother was a believer, but that his father was a Greek. Now, most would agree that because the text makes that distinction there in Acts 16, that Timothy's father was not a believer. So it may have been that Paul was one of the first male Christian role models Timothy ever had. Now, we don't know that for certain. But it is apparent that the two had a very close relationship, like a father and like a son. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 17, this is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere and every church. This is why Paul was so comfortable sending Timothy on this errand. Timothy 
was also very familiar with his church. Like we said, he joined Paul and their team just prior to the church being started at Philippi. So Timothy has known this church, and he has been close to this church from its very beginning. And this is why Timothy was so like-minded with Paul and his deep care for it. So when Paul says he has no one like-minded, he doesn't mean Timothy is a yes-man or they just agree on everything. He actually clarifies his like-mindedness in verse 20. He says, for I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. So Paul, or Timothy, was like-minded with Paul in that he was deeply concerned with this church. Now the phrase genuinely care, it means this deep emotion. And it can have a positive meaning or it can have a negative meaning. The positive meaning we see here in our text, it means this deep caring, this, this caring that is so deep, you, you literally feel it down in your soul like we see in our text, but it also has a negative meaning, and we see this word used in a negative sense in Philippians 4, 6. It's often translated as anxious or worry. In Philippians 4, 6, we're told not to worry about anything. That's that same phrase, that same word used only with negative emotions, and so that gives us a picture of how deep Timothy cares for this church. He cares deeply about their interests. He cares deeply about their spiritual well-being. Timothy isn't seeking after his own interests, Paul says, like many are. Timothy's only agenda was their well-being. This tells us that Timothy was self-denying, not self-focused. Paul says everyone's seeking out for their own interests, and he actually calls some of these preachers out in chapter number one, but he says that's not how Timothy is. Timothy is not self-seeking he is self-denying this is a perfect example of what we see in chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 do nothing with selfish ambition or conceit but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves everyone should look out not only to his own interests but rather to the interests of others so what does it look like to live out those verses what does it look like to not only care about ourselves but other people well timothy gives us this great example to be deeply concerned with other spiritual well-being it's a deep uh, concern and care that flows from Christ's deep care for us. And what I love about verse 22 is that Paul isn't having a hard time trying to convince this church of Timothy's love and care. Verse 22 says, you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. This shows us that Timothy was consistently faithful in gospel ministry. Paul's like, I don't have to convince you of this. You know his proven character. Timothy was consistently faithful. Proven character means to test, often through affliction. The visual picture would be being tested and purified through fire. The idea is that Timothy has proven himself faithful in ministry through difficulty and, and through adversities. Timothy was faithful through all the pain and persecution that surrounded the birth of this church. I mean, we preached about it at the beginning of this series when we started working through Timothy. When this church got started there in Acts 16, there was persecution. There was trials. It was not an easy time getting this church started. And Timothy was right there in the middle of all that. And Paul says he has been consistently faithful. He proved himself faithful then, and he has consistently proven himself faithful over the last decade. That is why I feel so comfortable sending him to you because he has been faithful and deeply caring for you. This is something that I think every Christian, by the grace of God, should strive for. To faithfully care for each other. To faithfully show up and encourage one another. To faithfully pray over one another. To faithfully have this deep concern and care for the spiritual well-being of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Timothy had proven himself faithful. So we see the care of Timothy. 
verse 23, where Paul says he wants to send him soon, starts with the word therefore. This shows us that it was because of Timothy's deep care, because he had proven himself faithful and consistent in that deep care, that is the reason Paul hoped to send him to this church, because he knew that it would be good for this church. He's like, because of all this, all the work that we see Jesus doing in Timothy, that's why I want to send Timothy, because I know when Timothy goes there, you're going to see Jesus in Timothy. We see the care of Timothy. Now let's look at the sacrifice of Epaphroditus. Look at verses 25 through 30. The Bible says, But I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your minister and uh, messenger and minister to my need. Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him and not only on him but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. So who was Epaphroditus? He's mentioned a couple times in the book of Philippians. Some speculate whether or not he had a position of leadership in the church at Philippi, but the Bible doesn't tell us that, so we don't really know. They think maybe because he was the one chosen to bring this offering to Paul, um, that maybe he had a position of leadership. But again, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. We know that he was one of the people who brought this offering to Paul, based on here in verse 18. Paul said, I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have provided. Epaphroditus would not have been traveling alone with this offering. When Paul talks about other people sending offerings in 1 Corinthians 8, he said there's a group of people that did this. So it's safe to assume that there was a group of people who went with Epaphroditus. When he got sick, one of the group most likely probably went back to Philippi and told the church of his sickness or sent some type of correspondence to the church at Philippi. And that's how they heard that he was sick. I mean, there's a lot about Epaphroditus that we don't know for certain, but what we do know is that he is an example of what it means to sacrifice like Jesus. In Epaphroditus, we see Christ-like sacrifice. Paul calls him a brother. Again, we see this close friendship, a close relationship. Paul says he's a brother in Christ. This is more than just acknowledging he's a fellow Christian. There was a strong emotional connection between Paul and Epaphroditus because of the lengths Epaphroditus went through to make sure Paul got this offering. I mean, this can be seen when Paul said God had mercy on Paul for sparing Epaphroditus in verse 27. He said God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul's like, yeah, he spared Epaphroditus by healing him, but he also spared me, because I don't know what I would have done without him. Now, sometimes we look at this term brother, and we kind of use it lightly, right? It's what we use when you can't remember somebody's name, like, hey, brother, I don't really remember your name. That's not what Paul is doing here. He is emphasizing and he's highlighting the deep affection that he has for Epaphroditus. Paul also calls him a co-worker. He was a fellow laborer with Paul. And I, what I love about this is we don't get any sense of superiority from Paul. I mean, Paul was in a position of leadership, but he views Epaphroditus as his equal. That's why he calls him, he's my co-worker. There's no superiority. He also calls him a fellow soldier. These were just two men who were championing the cause of Christ together. Yes, they had different roles, but there's no sense of comparison or distinction. Just two men fighting for the same cause on the same mission. Now, Paul also uses words like messenger and minister, and these are also significant. These words Paul uses to describe Epaphroditus' relationship with the church, they also inform us of Epaphroditus' role. 
Messenger means one who is sent with orders or a specific mission or an ambassador. So Paul was sent out by the church at Philippi to go and minister to Paul. Or Epaphroditus was sent out to go and minister to Paul. Minister means he was a public minister or a servant of the king. Uh, Often in the Old Testament, this word was used to describe someone ministering in the temple. This word carries the idea of executing a spiritual calling. And so what we see here is that uh, Epaphroditus wasn't just sent on an errand. He was a messenger. He was a minister. He viewed this service as, I'm serving my king by doing this. He was executing a spiritual calling. And these words come from a deep longing and and intense feeling for the church at Philippi that Epaphroditus had. He loved this church. He loved Paul. That's why he could so gladly go on this mission and why he was so glad to be, I'll be your messenger. I will be your minister. The mission was done out of a deep love and longing that he had for Paul and the church, just like what we see in Timothy. We see this in verse 25 and 26. Get this. Verse 25, but I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. His love for the church was not only evident by what he did, but also by the fact that he was worried, that the church was worried that he was sick. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm sick and people are worried, I'm like, bring it on. (laughs) That wasn't Epaphroditus. He was like, I'm sick and they're worried about me. Now I'm worried about them. I don't want them to be worried about me. I'm on God's mission. This is, this is what God has called me to do. So this is, this is part of what it means to sacrifice for Christ. I love the spirit that we see in him. Even as he was facing potential death, his focus was still on others. He was willing to sacrifice his health and potentially even his life because he valued the work of Christ. What a testimony. Epaphroditus was considering others as more important than himself, even as he was possibly dying. He was so sick. Talk about loving like Jesus. Verse 30 says, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Now, what was lacking in their ministry was the presence of the Philippians. They had to get the offering to Paul. They took up this offering. They, di- they did this ministry by trying to meet Paul's needs. But what was lacking was, how do we get it to him? And so when it says that he was making up what was lacking in their ministry, what he means is he was the one that got it to me. They had to get the offering to Paul. So Epaphroditus and company make up for that by taking it to him. And as a result, Epaphroditus nearly dies. He was willing to sacrifice so that this church could minister to Paul. And just like Paul wanted to eventually send Timothy to Philippi, because of Timothy's deep love for the church, Paul is sending Epaphroditus back immediately. Paul wanted Timothy to hang around and wait so that they could see how this trial went, hoping maybe Timothy could go back and send him news, let the church at Philippi know this is how the trial went. But Epaphroditus, he's like, you got to go back right away, man, because of his Christ-like love and sacrifice for the church. Verse 28, for this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him. You see this mutual love Epaphroditus had with his church. And I may be less anxious. Paul says, I'm sending him back so that you all can rejoice when he returns, so you can know he's well, so you can honor him. And so I can just take a deep breath and know this guy's okay. Paul then tells the church in verse 29 to welcome him and honor him and to welcome and honor others that are like him. And when we see God at work in people, 
and they are constantly and consistently and faithfully serving others, faithfully putting others' needs ahead of their own, faithfully loving like Jesus, we should honor them. We should celebrate that service. Now, this is often backwards from how the world thinks, doesn't it? The servants tend to be stuck on the low end of the totem pole. But Scripture tells us to hold those type of servants in high regard, to honor them, to hold them in high esteem. This is how the kingdom of God works. Luke 14, 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Honoring faithful servants is not about worshiping man. It's not about putting these people on a pedal so that we can say, look how awesome you are. But what it does is it helps us reshape our hearts to see the values of the kingdom. And when we honor something and when we celebrate something, what we're doing is we are bringing our affections into a line with that value. And so Paul says, honor them. We honor people who are willing to sacrifice. We honor people who faithfully love. Even when it's not easy, even when it's not convenient, what we're doing is we're bringing our values into alignments with the values of the kingdom of God. This passage in scripture is not given to us so that we can idolize men. The point of honoring sacrifices and looking to men as our examples is not so that they can take the place of Jesus in our lives, but so that we can see living demonstrations of what it looks like to keep our eyes on Jesus. This is a real-life example. These two men are real-life examples for us. This is what it means to adopt the same attitude as Christ. And these people show us this is what it looks like to be conformed to the image of Jesus. This is what it looks like to be a servant, to be humble, to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. And it's our prayer that our lives will also be a living demonstration of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these demonstrations that we are given of Christ-like service in your word. And I pray that as we consider the example that these men have set, Lord, that we would see Jesus in them and that we would strive to live our lives in the same way. To be conduits of your love, to be messengers and ministers to those that are in need so your kingdom can go forth. We ask this in your name. Amen.